Good morning. So in the beginning, God created. He created and He saw that all was good. Everything, everything He laid His eyes on, He saw was good. And so from the power of His voice exploded this remarkable array of creative existence. It is good, He proclaimed. And so then, not from His voice, but by His own hands, He would fashion a body from the dust of the ground, the dust of the earth. And man, He called Him. And by His hand, He formed Him. And then by God's hand, He fashioned the body from the rib of the man. Woman, she is called. And again, God proclaimed, it is good. It is very good, in fact. And yet this man and, and this woman... When tempted to sin, gave in to that temptation and, and ate of the only food that God had expressly forbidden them not to eat. And so along with the taste of that tree then, of the knowledge of good and evil, would come another new taste. And that would be death. The taste of death. And all that God created, which was so perfectly good, has now been stained by the sin of humanity. And doesn't that sound heartbreaking? It's a heartbreaking state to be in, not just for Adam and Eve, but for us today also. Because all that God has given us in creation, life and, and a sustaining environment and the ability to progress and an opportunity to, to advance in relationship with Him, all that He has given us and for all He has given us, we've turned our back on Him and our, our disobedient choices to reject His instruction. And we do that every day to some degree. And yet, God longs to redeem us, to rescue us from ourselves and the, the destructive effects of sin. And on not just our way of life, but on our way to eternity. And so this time, God would not create a body from the dust of the earth, but He would create a body for the Creator of the earth. And God Himself put on the flesh of humanity so that He could rescue us from the selfishness of our humanity. And so what must it have taken for Jesus to, to leave His Father's side, to exit the, the wonders of the heavenly realm, and to, to descend both in stature and in status? What must it have taken for Him to make that choice? Amazing love, unselfishness, which the Apostle Paul says is what we should also have for one another. And in Philippians 2 and verse 5, he writes, You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it was... Jesus' obedience that allowed Him to stand before God in our place, perfect and, and holy and righteous before God the Father. And because of God's great love for us, He accepted Jesus' offer of Himself to stand in our place, judged and convicted and sentenced and executed. And Jesus didn't use His, his super God power to miraculously avoid or to resist the same temptation that overtook Adam and Eve. Because for ones who stood in standing both as the high priest authorized to offer the sacrifice and as the sacrifice itself, Scripture holds Jesus up, proclaiming in Hebrews 4.15 that for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And so in this body, prepared by God to survive the elements of the world, Jesus humbled Himself. He humbled Himself to humanity. And Jesus overcame the the dark elements of the spiritual world. And on the night that He was betrayed by one of the very twelve that He had chosen, chosen to be His closest companions, Jesus took the bread. And at supper, He said, Luke records this, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. So we remember the body that Jesus gave to us. And Jesus gave His body to be subjected to the elements of humanity here on earth. He gave His body to fulfill all righteousness of God. And He gave His body to to, to stand in our place. Not, Not just to uphold rules, but to allow His actions to be ruled by God's righteousness. And Jesus gave His body to be subjected to the cruelty of humanity, rejection, desertion, abuse, and death. And yet God raised up that body from the grave as a miraculous event that we participate in and we benefit from when we are baptized into Christ. And as we eat the bread this morning, we share not only in this body with Christ, but we also share with each other as members of this body. And so we eat this kingdom meal, remembering one another as we do this in remembrance of Jesus. Charles will come pray for the bread. As we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, Let's think about what Jesus did. And let's think about what Jesus said in the Gospel of John when he said, No greater love than this, than one to lay down his life for his friend. So let's think about our friend Jesus and our Savior Jesus. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you loved us enough that you let Jesus suffer on the cross, that he gave up his body for us. We pray, Father, as we partake of this bread, which represents that sacrificed body, that we will do so in a manner that's pleasing to him. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. So Matthew highlights some very important details when he recalls the sharing of the cup. And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27, we read that after taking the cup and giving thanks, Jesus gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And all the narratives we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John speak of this new covenant in reference to the blood of Jesus. And so the sacrifice of Jesus brought a new covenant, not by circumcision of the flesh, as with Abraham and with Moses, but what Scripture calls as circumcision of the heart, based on the forgiveness of sins. And so in Hebrews, we read the most detailed explanation of the differences between the covenant under the law of Moses 
and the new covenant in Christ. And so remember, after having delivered the Israelites from captivity in Egypt, God directed them to construct a tabernacle, a tent in the wilderness that would travel with them and be a place where people could sacrifice to and worship God. And so later, that portable tent would become a permanent grand structure in Jerusalem as, as the capital was set up. And so a, a symbolic place of identity where God resided among the people and where sacrifices were offered to atone for the sins of the people. But it was always a foreshadowing, a looking forward of a perfect tent through which a sacrifice once for all would be offered, providing forgiveness of sins for all persons who would accept that sacrifice in faith. And so in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11, we read, But now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And he entered once for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled on those who are defiled, consecrated them and provided ritual purity, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to worship the living God. And so he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the eternal inheritance he has promised since he died to set them free from the violations committed under the first covenant. For where there is a will, the death of the one who made it must be proven for a will takes effect only at death since it carries no force while the one who made it is alive. So even if the first covenant, so even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. And when Moses had spoken every command to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded you to keep And both the tabernacle and all the utensils of worship. He likewise sprinkled with blood. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything was purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So it was necessary for the sketches of things in heaven to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves required better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, the representation of the true sanctuary, but into heaven itself. And he appears now in God's presence for us. And he did not enter to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the sanctuary year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. And just as people are appointed to die once and then to face judgment, so also after Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. And so the wording of Matthew 26 makes explicit the covenant is associated with forgiveness. And so to drink the cup is to share in the covenant of blood. And so for Christians, when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, it's an act of renewing our covenant allegiance with the Lord. And covenant language marks the participants as being 
especially the Lord's. And it calls attention to the meal as being only for those who share the covenant. It makes it special. And so a common term for the Lord's Supper translates as fellowship. A fellowship meal or a communion meal. And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, Is not the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all share one bread. And Paul goes on to point out how eating at idol temples establishes a a communion with demons. And so likewise, when we eat the sacrificial meal offered by our Lord, we are participants with the Lord. When the Jews would, would eat their sacrificial meal at the altar, they participated in the altar. And so sacrifices in, in paganism and, and in Judaism were often followed by sharing a meal, which showed that the participants were participating in that sacrifice. And so when Christians eat the bread, when we drink the cup each week, we are sharing in Christ's sacrifice and the benefits of His sacrifice. And so we participate in Christ's body and His blood. And that is we are identifying with His life and with His death. And so the Lord promised to be with His disciples always. And this supper of the Lord is His pledge of that continuing presence with us. And so in the bread and in the cup, we are presented with symbols. Symbols of His body and of His blood. And these are a pledge of that continuing fellowship with him. And so Hebrews 10:5, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings you took no delight in. And then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written of me in the scroll of the book to do your will, O God. And when he says above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor did you take delight in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he says, here I am. I have come to do your will. He does away with the first to establish the second. And by his will, we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands day after day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again. Sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God, where he is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after saying, this is the covenant, that I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will inscribe on them on their minds. Then he says their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no longer. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And so at the table, we make our sacrifice of thanksgiving for the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And so the church lives daily in both the, the humiliation of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And so the Lord's Supper brings us once more to these realities. And it reminds us that the resurrection is an assurance of the power of the sacrificial life. And so we share not only in the benefits of Christ's sacrifice, but we also share in our own self-sacrifice to God. And so the supper for which thanks is given establishes a communion a fellowship among believers, and it maintains and sustains this unity that we share and we experience until He comes, until Christ comes again. And so the language we hear about communion and fellowship calls attention 
to this mutual sharing. Share with the Lord and share with one another. And that characterizes the church. That's who we are. And so the supper is a particularly kingdom meal to be shared and and enjoyed by particularly kingdom people. And the sacrifice of Christ brought a new covenant based on the forgiveness of sins. And so when we drink the cup, we share in this covenant of blood. And for Christians, eating of the bread and drinking from the cup is this act of renewing our covenant allegiance with the Lord, remembering why He gave Himself for us. And it represents the unifying element. joins all of us, Christians everywhere, who have been born again with Christ into this new body, this new life. And so now we remember. We remember the death that was necessary to enact this covenant. We remember the blood that was necessary, that was shed to purify this covenant. And we remember the life that was resurrected to seal this covenant. And we remember our commitment to live by this covenant. As Charles prays for the cup. Let's bow again, please. Our Father, we're so mindful and thankful that we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The perfect blood of Jesus Christ, Christ who had no blemishes, no spots. We pray, Father, as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents that precious blood, that redeems us, we pray, Father, that we do so in a manner that's pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so this sacred meal is something that we get to enjoy together every week, the first day of the week. And we come together, we remember this. And we know that Jesus rose... On the first day of the week, we assemble on the first day of the week and we remember together on the first day of the week. And so we share the the bread and the cup and it unites our common focus on being kingdom people, God's family. And it's a time that when not only do we receive the emblems of the bread and the juice, but we pass them one to another and in a reflection of service to each other even. And so as residents of the kingdom of God, the church not only shares in receiving the sacrifice, but we share an offering sacrifice for the work of the kingdom. And through the local congregation, through the local believers, we participate in kingdom works of of preaching and teaching and serving and sharing. And in response to some of his disciples who were wondering, Jesus, who's going to have the preeminence? Who's going to be the top dog In your kingdom, when you establish his kingdom, Jesus said, that's not the way kingdom people think. And he corrected them. In fact, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 42, Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, those who are not believers, lord it over them and those in high positions use their authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so kingdom dwellers are givers. 
We're givers both of our time and of our possession because we recognize that all things belong to God. And so our giving is simply a response to the, the amazing gift that we have been given. And that's eternal life through Jesus Christ. And whether it's our money, whether it's our, our time, whether it's our possessions, we share in this sacrifice of giving so that the work of God's kingdom can be done in and around our community. And so our shepherds make this opportunity available when we assemble together. But giving should not just be reduced to, to a ritual once a week. And so just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, we order our lives by his pattern of service. We look to him humbling ourselves just as our king did, as he stooped to serve the least of these. And as we serve others, we're encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. He says, by all these things, I have shown you that by working in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Charles will pray before our offering. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all things that we have We know, Father, that nothing really belongs to us, that it is all yours, but we know that you have also commanded us that we should come together on this first day of the week and give back as we have been prospered. We pray, Father, that the funds that we have will be increased your kingdom, that the things that uh, we programs we have will be benefited by our giving, and we pray that we give from our heart willingly and generously with love. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. It should be a humbling experience to share in the body and the blood of our Savior Christ. But it's also one in which we should rejoice. And so we struggle each week. We struggle with feelings, with emotions. Am I supposed to celebrate? Am I supposed to bow my head in in humility? Yes. (laughs) Yes, we are. Because after this supper, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested falsely accused. He was taken by the Jewish leadership. He was convicted. He was condemned by the Roman government. He was abandoned to to hang by nails on a cross until he suffocated to death. Three words. It is finished. It is finished. The last words of Jesus on the cross. But the last recorded words of God at Calvary will soon be overpowered by the echo of God's first words of creation. Let there be light. Let there be light. Because three days later, the light would shine from the tomb, separating the darkness from the light forever. And the triumphant march of the King of Glory up the stairs of that tomb would be joined by followers of disciples proclaiming victory 
for the kingdom of God and the joy of living in God's kingdom come. Eternal residence. Marching our way to eternal glory. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And so we balance, we straddle. As we come this morning, we partake of this meal that just looks backwards at all that God has done while it projects forward for all that God has prepared for us. And yet we sit here today in the middle looking forward but never forgetting. God sent His one and only Son to this earth because He loved the world so much. He did not want anyone to perish, but that through His Son, all might have and come to repentance and have eternal life. And this morning, as you reflect on the sacrifice of Christ and on the victory that He claimed over death, eternal victory for each one of us, the question this morning is, what victory do I need to claim in my life? What sin is holding me back from living fully in the kingdom of God and looking forward to His eternal kingdom, His eternal promise? Someday, what sin do I need to repent of? Do I need to confess? Do I need the prayers of this family together today? Or perhaps you have sat outside this morning and you watched the peculiarity of this bread and this cup as it passed among you. Fully realizing now that the reason we take this cup is because it is offered to us by our Lord and Savior. See, it was His price, His blood that filled that cup for me and for you. And He invites each one of us to believe that He is God's one and only Son. To repent of our sins. To confess His name before men and before God our Father. To be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. To be washed clean by that very blood that He gave up for us on Calvary. And then to celebrate and rejoice today, living today in God's kingdom as we look forward to His kingdom come. Are you ready to be baptized into Christ today? We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement this morning. If you have a need as we assemble together today that we can support you with, encourage you in, help you with, will you come as we stand and sing?